Hey there, my lovelies. Welcome to a slightly different Holy Shed this week because it's Pentecost Sunday. (laughs) I hope you haven't forgotten that in the middle of all the Jubilee stuff that's going on. And as well, of course, it is uh, a big holiday weekend for us Brits anyway. And I hope that whatever you've been doing, jubileeing or not jubileeing, that you have had a fabulous weekend. And since me and Pat are taking it easy at our daughter Jenny's for the weekend, I'm going to hang fire on the next uh, session linked to the book of Revelation that we've been doing. I want to do a, give that a little bit more justice. And so I'll be carrying on with that next time. That's going to be good too. Oh, yes. Uh, so instead, I want to say a few words based on one of my favourite regular readings in the Pentecost lectionary. It's the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. You know, and it's where the inhabitants of Shinar, which is probably now in what we would call northeast Syria, Uh, The inhabitants of that land seemed to suffer from some kind of existential insecurity. You know, they were frightened of being scattered and being made vulnerable, losing their identity or whatever. So it says that they banded together uh, to build a huge tower that they hoped would reach right up to the heavens. The Tower of Babel or Babel, you may say. Uh, Similar structures to this known as ziggurats, existed all across the ancient Near East. Um, So what they were doing wasn't something new or different or peculiar. Um, Each of these ziggurats was dedicated to the deity of the people who built it. And um, they're about power, really, or the perception of power. You know, it was all about our tower, our ziggurat is bigger than yours. Our God is greater than yours, so don't mess with us. That was basically the message of it all and uh, it's often assumed that what offended God because it says that God didn't like what they were doing in building the tower it's often assumed that what offended God in the story was the arrogance of the people in wanting to reach to the heavens you know to inhabit God's space if you like to become their own God Well, Judy Klitzner, who is an outstanding Jewish biblical scholar, disagrees with that sort of interpretation. She argues, I think persuasively, from the text, that the real issue that got God's goat was not that. It was the false unity that they were creating, their collusion to act together, to build a city and a community over against other cities and communities, which is why ancient peoples built their ziggurats actually in the first place, because they wanted to set themselves up over against uh, other similar communities. And um, seeing the the destructive power in their factional complicity together, it says in the story that God caused them to speak different languages. He brought confusion amongst them and they spoke different languages and they were scattered and, um, you know, God broke up their colluded tribalism by dispersing them across the face of the earth. At the start of the next chapter in Genesis, chapter 12, which is where uh, God calls Abraham, we're told that God promised to create a nation from Abraham's seed, but not, by the way, to be a nation over against other nations, such as 
the people of Babel were trying to do, but instead he wanted this to be a nation which would be a source of blessing and enrichment to every nation. Abraham's vision that he received from God was one of global unity and cooperation of mutual blessing, not one favoured people over against the rest of the world, but all people blessed or favoured by God um, through his particular um, calling from God. Babel, I think, still speaks uh, of what happens when any of us, when we build communities based on self-interest, you know, or when they're motivated by fear and insecurity. What happens is we become suspicious of difference and otherness. We take sides, you know, form tribes, lose the capacity to understand others who are different to ourselves. We build walls, create borders, and it's all really pretty familiar stuff still in our world, isn't it? The rise, I think, of, you know, what's often called populist politics or, you know, we want to be great again movements, uh, let's control our own borders, all that kind of stuff, all that kind of politicking is all basically tracing back to the Tower of Babel impulse. It is the same impulse that is trying to find security and greatness by pulling back into ourselves and seeing ourselves over against the other. Now, Luke, the gospel writer, must have had, uh, and, and not just the gospel writer, but the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, where we read about Pentecost, I think he must have had the story of the Tower of Babel in mind when he recounted in, in Acts chapter 2 what happened at Pentecost. Pentecost, in that story, is a kind of reversal of Babel, if you like. At Babel, language and tribal identity, uh, you know, isolated and divided people. But at Pentecost, differences of language and background were overcome as people learned to listen to each other, to understand each other. A new age of trust was offered, you know, the possibility of new creative partnerships, fresh alliances, open borders. The assumed connection between Genesis 11 and Acts 2, of course, is about speaking, speaking in tongues. It's about, you know, the opposite, the reversal of what happened at, at Babel. But actually, when I read through that chapter again, I think the emphasis in Acts 2 isn't simply on speaking. It's, it's also, and perhaps more importantly, on hearing, uh, which is the basis, of course, of every healthy relationship, every fruitful alliance whether that's personal, you know, family, familial or, or communal in the, in the wider context. As my mum used to tell me, God gave you one mouth and two ears, David. Learn to listen more and speak less. I'm not sure I ever really did get that, mum, I'm afraid, but I'm um, still trying. So just listen to what's said in Acts chapter 2. So in verse 6 it says, Each one heard them speaking in their own language. Verse 8 says, how is it that we hear each one, each other in our own native tongue? Verse 11 says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 14 says, give ear to my words. That's Peter speaking. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So it's interesting, isn't it? Throughout 
that chapter that the theme much more than the speaking in tongues bit is the hearing the listening the being able to understand what's being said pentecost you could say was a miracle of communication but the miracle appears to have been every bit as much about hearing as it was about speaking the feature of pentecost uh, is a fresh capacity to hear to listen as well as to speak when we uh, restored the chancel at st luke's church in in uh, holloway in north london where i was the vicar we created a piece of art on the ceiling of the chancel and it was a great canopy if you ever go to st luke's take a look it's a wonderful piece of art by my good friend rob pepper it's a great canopy of branches and leaves and on all the leaves uh, were inscribed the names of i think it's about 1500 people nominated by members of st luke's and others in the community too and they were able to nominate inspirational figures who they would like to put the names of up there and, and it may be parents or grandparents or friends or other loved ones or maybe famous people i know actually steve gerrard is <laughs> up there on the ceiling of st luke's and i didn't nominate him by the way i had no idea who who did uh, but what it amounts to is a sort of communion of saints and at the center of the artwork we wanted to put an image or a representation a symbol of god to you know affirm the fact that god is at the heart of our community but we didn't want anything too conventional so we looked around and i i'd searched in many directions until we decided on the image of three hairs it's not this one that's on the roof of st luke's but it, it it's a bit clearer for you to see so i've chosen this one which is a kind of celtic it's actually outside a shop in whitby i took this photograph and this three hairs image is an ancient image first found in caves in china i think certainly in the far east um, and, and as you can see, it's three hairs in a circular dance of community. And I don't know if you know, but the, the first Easter bunnies, we talk about Easter bunnies, the Easter bunnies really originally were hairs and they were a symbol of fertility. And this symbol of the three hairs, uh, more recently, I think, I don't know when, but um, it, it, it became something that was... Uh, put up in in some churches mostly in germany and i think in some parts of france too where it was a, signi a signifier of mary and and that ties in with the kind of uh the fertility theme really but we chose instead to use it as a symbol of god because it just looked like such a wonderful trinitarian image uh a trinity of loving communion a dance of you know mutuality and um uh, but the thing i love about this image is that what joins the three hers together is actually their ears they're joined by their ears and each of the hers appears to have two ears but when you look actually they're all sharing an ear which i think is a spectacular thought really that communion lies at the heart of god um but it's a communion based on listening a communion based on listening and i think actually it's the capacity to listen which creates any good relationship which creates 
the heart of any community. Um, and so this is seeing God as the ultimate listener, which is a really wonderful thought. But also that what unites any community, as I say, is listening much more than speaking. So that babbling, don't know if you see what I'm doing there, uh, babbling, you know, shouting our own lines at each other, uh, is eliminated in true communication because we begin to listen to each other. And it seems to me that's still a massive message that we need in the world. I think it's at the heart of St. Ethelberger's Centre for Reconciliation and Peace, where I'm, I'm a chaplain, um, that what St. Ethelberger's offers is a space, yes, to speak, but more importantly, a space to listen to the other, because there's no reconciliation without a deep level of listening to the other. So I think that what any community, when any community neglects that discipline, the simple discipline of listening, it begins to fall apart. It scatters like happened with uh, around the Tower of Babel. You know, fear and suspicion begin to set in. People huddle together in cliques and, you know, in their own little groups and uh, little comfort groups, you could say, really. And they band together basically against the rest where they feel the threat may be coming from. When we stop listening, you know, when we start reading in to what people say, we assume that we know what they think. And uh, we feed our fears. Community ceases. Conflict sets in. And it's interesting when you begin to get people together to try to bring reconciliation, which I've done very often, you know, with couples or within the context of a group of people, um, the first thing as a convener or, you know, of, of that kind of gathering that you have to do is to stop people speaking over each other, to stop people speaking before they've actually let the other person say what they want to say, before they've heard what the other person says. Because listening, as I say, is the core principle, the core faculty in creating uh, good relationships or community. So Pentecost, you could say, is a miracle of communication. All these people from different places with different sort of linguistic backgrounds suddenly begin to hear others speaking in, in a way that they can understand. And in a way, you know, all successful communication is a bit of a miracle, really. All too often, we become overly conscious of our own thoughts, of our own ideas and our own self-interests. And uh, we learn to look out for people who are different and guard against them without realising that we're all basically the same underneath the surface, regardless of differences of tradition or background or ethnicity, differences of colour or, or sexuality or gender or whatever. We are first and foremost and most fundamentally humans more than that actually we're basically earthlings and i think i say that because i think we need to start listening to our fellow creatures to mother earth and if we don't start doing that bloody quickly then there really won't be any way back from the brink of climate change pentecost is really a carnival of congeniality you know where difference is not only overcome 
but it's celebrated. It's not about eliminating difference, but it's being able to transcend the, the enmity that sometimes that brings and be able to celebrate difference. The realisation dawns that God never takes sides, that there's no monopoly on the spirit. Every single person, every creature is in some way a vessel of the divine. And uh, the Quakers recognise that there is that of God in everyone. And that's such an important thing. And the fact that they, you know, ha their liturgy is one of silence is important because that's a place of listening. And I think that that principle of recognising that there's that of God in the other means I have to listen for that, uh, you know, in times when perhaps I'm tempted to, to withdraw and feel alienated. So it says at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, he says, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And that's Peter quoting from uh, the prophet Joel. Sons and daughters, young and old, slave and free, men and women, God's spirit, it says, is totally democratically, indiscriminately poured forth on all flesh. There is no discrimination at all. At Pentecost, people were offered a new language, the language of peace instead of war, the language of reconciliation instead of conflict, of cooperation instead of competition, forgiveness instead of revenge, hope instead of despair, kindness instead of bigotry and preformed preconceptions about the other. But most of all, Pentecost celebrates our capacity to listen instead of just shouting our slogans, you know, shouting our lines back at the other. Pentecost was not intended to be the birthplace of a new form of sectarianism. When we say, you know, people say it was it's the birthplace of the church. Well, the problem with that is that we're superimposing back church as we know it and understand it, which didn't exist for centuries, actually. Um, but I think most importantly, it wasn't the birthplace of a new religion. It wasn't the birthplace of some new form of sectarianism. We're right, you're wrong. We've got the truth, you haven't. Join us or be damned. That's not what Pentecost is about. Pentecost symbolises a new form of community, a new humanity that can only exist when we open ourselves constantly to the breath of the Spirit. And therein lies the key, you know, right there. Because Spirit, in Hebrew and in Greek, two languages of the Bible, is another word for breath, for fresh air, you know. And no one has a monopoly on that, regardless of religion, faith, tradition, background, whatever, you know. No one has a monopoly on this, God's fresh air, the Spirit of God. And um, so, you know, God's breath sustains us all, an entire planet, um, that's it's the same word spirit breath fresh air when we open ourselves to the spirit we open ourselves to otherness 
That's intrinsic in the whole business of opening ourselves to God's Spirit. We are also opening ourselves to otherness, to people of difference, to different ideas, different possibilities, different futures. doesn't mean that we have to think they're all, you know, everybody's ideas are the right ideas. We can argue till the cows come home. But this is looking at it at a deeper plane than that. Pentecost enables us to see God all over the place, in all creation. It's a simple uh, practice of listening, and yet it could actually change the world if we could learn to be better at it. To me, you know, the spirit is the same as what some people, in certainly in the Buddhist tradition, they talk about the life force. And to me, that's talking about the same thing, the breath of life. The spirit is the life force in all creation. So to me, it's a wonderful benediction to say, may the force be with you, um, because that's what I mean by that. May the spirit of the breath of life fill you and your life and all that uh, is about you. So I've got a prayer here. It's not a prayer by me. It's a prayer by Anne Lewin. Uh, and it's a gorgeous prayer, I think. Flame-dancing spirit, come, sweep us off our feet and dance us through our days. Surprise us with your rhythms. Dare us to try new steps, explore new patterns and new partnerships. Release us from old routines to swing in abandoned joy and fearful adventure. And in the intervals, rest us in your still centre. Amen. What a great prayer that is. Tell you what, wish I had written it. It's lovely. Okay, so we're going to just finish with a toast to all of this. So uh, if you've got a drink, if you've got any left now by this point in the weekend, then uh, please pour a little bit and join me in a toast. And uh, I invite you to Hold your glass, your mug, whatever it is with me. And uh, I propose a toast to the life force of creation, the Holy Spirit, God's presence, uh, God's fresh air in everything. I propose a toast to seeing beyond difference, not pretending it's not there. In fact, celebrating difference but being able to see beyond it that there's something deeper that unites us. I propose a toast to the simple grace of listening. A toast to life. Lahaim. Okay then, guys. Uh, if you like the Holy Shed, you like what we're about, you can support us. Buy us a coffee uh, by going to the link following the link on your screen now it's also always at the top of the posts on the holy shed facebook page and uh deep thanks to everyone who supports us in that way and in many other ways too we uh i feel i'm sustained by all the encouragement that you bring to us in lots of different ways so that's it next time next week I'm going to return to uh, things connected with the book of Revelation. Um, I think, you know, I, was, I finished last week talking about this sort of 
paranoid or, you know, uh, dualistic universe where everything is good and evil and it's one or the other and it's very black and white and how that's not the way I personally perceive the world. It's how a vision like Revelation works, but um, I, personally, it's, it's not the way I see things. Um, and of course, at the very forefront of that conflicted world is, you know, God or Satan and you're behind one or the other. And there's a whole package of stuff that comes on the back of that that has been thought up and created over the years until we think that it's actually what the Bible says. So somebody, you know, asked me this week, what do you think about Satan? And in a way, that's a big part of what I'm going to go on to talk about and think about next week. What do we think about the devil and demons and all that spiritual warfare stuff expressed in the book of Revelation, but but which has taken on a hell of a lot of weird and wonderful forms in church life over the years. So I hope you'll join me for that. And I'm going to finish now with a little video. It's a video of one of my former congregation, a lovely, lovely young woman called Millie. Millie uh, is uh, a beautiful soul. She's a very talented woman. And among other things, she's a dancer. And she's here performing a dance in the back garden of her parents' home uh, called Apart for Now. And it was, uh, I think, in the, uh, you know, about this time, two years ago. So in the middle of all those dark days of lockdown when we were separated. And somehow this dance, I think, to me expresses that longing for community that I've been talking about, you know, to rejoin that dance of love and kindness and listening and so on and so forth. So it's a longing for that, really. And um, yeah, I should just tell you, well, I want to tell you that Millie and her brother and sister, they're, they're triplets, Millie and her brother and sister were the first babies, <laughs> you'll laugh at this when you see it, that I baptised when I first took over St Luke's back in the end of 1999, I think, early 2000. Uh, so I love Millie, I love her whole family, and um, you can expect if you come to Soul Space to see this dance film showed again in a slightly different context meanwhile enjoy this i hope you've had a great weekend have a wonderful week and i look forward to uh, getting back together with you uh, to pursue our theme next week so go well uh, be kind to yourselves be kind to other people stay human and may the force be with you bye Thank mm-hmm. you.
Mm-hmm.